That concludes general questions. We will now move on to the next item of business, which is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. Uh, an email revealed yesterday at the UK COVID inquiry included, really, SNP members are groaning because we're asking about the COVID inquiry. So let me start again. Thank you, Presiding Officer. An email revealed yesterday by the UK COVID inquiry included senior SNP government figures discussing the travel ban to Spain in July 2020. The email says, I am extremely concerned about this. It won't matter how much ministers might justify it on health grounds. The Spanish government will conclude it is entirely political. They won't forget. There is a real possibility they will never approve EU membership for an independent Scotland as a result. This wasn't a low-level consideration. The people included in this discussion were Nicola Sturgeon, absent again from Parliament. John Swinney, absent again from Parliament. Jean Freeman and Hamza Youssef. So, First Minister, why was independence even considered in a decision about public health? First Minister. Of course, uh, it wasn't, uh, presiding officer. And Douglas Ross, when he says it, this email came from a senior SNP official, it was from a Scottish Government civil servant, not from John Swinney, nor Nicola Sturgeon, nor from uh, myself, or indeed from Jean Freeman, to suggest the decision around Spain was made for any other reason than epidemio uh, epidemiology, uh, I'm afraid, is an absolute fantasy. And even if we accepted Douglas Ross's uh, example or Douglas Ross's framing of the situation, that we were looking at this through a constitutional lens and attempting to curry favour with Spain, then surely then we would have put them on the exempt list. We didn't put them on the exempt list is the exact point. And why did we not do that? Because let's look at the epidemiology at that point that Scotland did not include Spain on the exempt list like England and Wales did. Why? Because their point of prevalence at that time was 0.33. That was four times higher than the point of prevalence in Scotland. So that was, in fact, Spain was the only country at that point proposed for the exempt list that had significantly higher prevalence, uh, for, uh, for higher prevalence than uh, Scotland did at the time. When I look at the evidence uh, and the, the advice from the chief medical officer at the time. He expressed concern about the importation risks. So ministers concluded that they should not add Spain to the list of exempted countries due to our lower prevalence and the fact that Spain had four times higher prevalence, presiding officer. So Douglas Ross can do his best to spin. He can do his best to throw insults. He can do his best to try to malign uh, to malign uh, and misrepresent facts and malign not just ministers but civil servants. But I believe the people of Scotland know well, for all of the challenges that we had during the pandemic that the Scottish Government always, always prioritised protecting the public from the harms of COVID. I don't think Douglas Ross can say the same of his party in the UK Government. Douglas Ross. Thank amid, you. Amid pretty stiff competition, that might be the most bizarre answer I've ever heard from Hamza Youssef. He's saying it's fact. So here is a fact. The day after Hamza Youssef received that email speaking about political concerns that there might be with the Spanish government allowing an independent Scotland into the EU, he stood up and announced that they were 
uh, introducing a corridor, travel corridor, with Spain. The very next day, they opened up travel to Spain, and five days later, they had to close it down again because uh, COVID cases were rocketing. That's a fact, and we know it because Hamza Youssef told us. And it's black and white in evidence to the inquiry that they were thinking about independence instead of focusing purely on public health. Now, what we've not seen is any evidence of Hamza Youssef's response to that email. And Nicola Sturgeon's messages have all gone from that time because she deleted them. The former SNP leader destroyed all of her WhatsApp messages despite knowing that a do not destroy order was in place, despite promising grieving families she would be transparent, despite assuring journalists that all her messages would be handed to the inquiry. She told the press unequivocally, yes, her messages would be provided. So why did Nicola Sturgeon say yes when she actually meant no? First Minister. First of all, can I say once again, effective from 10th of July 2020, Spain was not included on the first exempt countries list due to the higher prevalence it had higher, four times higher than it had uh, in relation to uh, Scotland. Let me just say in relation to WhatsApp messages, uh, Douglas Ross has thrown all sorts of uh, incendiary accusations the way particularly of Nicola Sturgeon for not retaining WhatsApp messages. He's demanded investigations uh, and reviews. But not only did his boss, the Prime Minister, not retain uh, his messages, he actually took the inquiry to court and lost. But just over the last hour, we've heard from Alistair Jack, again, uh, Douglas Ross's boss when he was in the Scotland office. And what did Alistair Jack say about his WhatsApp messages? He was asked uh, did he delete his WhatsApp messages? And here's what Alistair Jack said. Uh, and uh, it, well, he says, I, I did uh, delete them, and he deleted them because he wanted to free up storage capacity on his phone. Uh, when he was asked if there was any government business on these WhatsApps, he said, and I will quote him directly, I didn't think anything of it. When he was asked if he considered the needs of the public Mr. inquiry, Sarwar. here's what he said, and I will quote directly, no, I didn't. I was quite keen for my phone to start working again, is what he said, presiding officer. So it is astonishing that Douglas Ross demands investigations and reviews in relation to Nicola Sturgeon for not retaining her WhatsApps. But his boss, his colleague who deletes his WhatsApps, didn't even think about the inquiry. Well, that's perfectly fine. Well, there's one word for that, presiding officer, and it's hypocrisy, and the people of Scotland can see right through Douglas Ross. Douglas Ross. It is not perfectly fine. Alistair Jack was wrong to delete his WhatsApp messages. He has apologised and he regrets it. Hamza Youssef can't step out of the shadow of his disgraced predecessor and say the same. And of course, Nicola Sturgeon has not apologised. She has not apologised for doing it. She has said she was right because she was following government policy. That's a massive difference, First Minister. But, but I can't let the First Minister's confusion over this travel ban with Spain pass. He's just saying that uh, they kept in place the restrictions with Spain. On the 20th of July, the day after that email was sent, Hamza Youssef said, and I quote, we are able to lift the requirement for those travelling from Spain. 
Five days later, he says the decision to exempt Spain earlier this week was taken when the data showed there was an improvement. The latest data has given us cause for concern to overturn that decision. So he definitely made a decision Ross, on the back of that Mr. email. Mr Ross, can I just ask the front bench to please resist any temptation to contribute? Mr Ross. Well, I, I think they're trying to uh, come up with a story here because what the First Minister has said so far does not match what he did in practice uh, in 2020. But we know that the deleted WhatsApp messages were covering up major decisions from this SNP government. We know that because of the messages we have been able to see. Hamza Youssef, when he was then Health Secretary in charge of the NHS, joked with the National Clinical Director, Jason Leach. They laughed about false claims that children were hospitalised because of COVID. And in one revealing exchange, Hamza Youssef said this, I'm winging it and we'll get found out sooner or later. First Minister, at what point do you think you were finally found out? First Minister. Officer, let's uh, again uh, look at the facts. Where Douglas Ross uh, is right, of course, there was uh, Spain initially exempt, not exempt uh, from a travel corridor and then put on a travel corridor. Why were they? Because we have the data that the UK government presented by the London First School Minister, of Hygiene. First Minister, do you know, we have so many members who want to put questions to the First Minister. That would be more likely if we could get on with our session and if I don't have to keep asking front benches to resist the temptation to contribute when they shouldn't be. First Minister. Well, they don't want to listen to the facts, and the facts are this. That uh, Douglas Ross, of course, said in his own response that the situation improved in Spain. And that is correct. The London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine showed a marked improvement in the position in Spain, with point prevalence going down to 0.015%. And that is the reason, of course, why they were then put on the exempt list. When the situation worsened, just a matter of days later, actually, worsened considerably, all of the UK nations decided to take them off that exempt list. So again, we made the decisions for purely epidemiological reasons. And when it comes to the UK uh, government uh, and uh, the messages that we have seen, can I remind Douglas Ross of what we've seen from the UK government and the messages that have been revealed? He had a Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, that Douglas Ross not only backed to the very end, invited to his party conference. Boris Johnson, who allegedly, according to the evidence we've heard, said, let the bodies pile up high. When discussing long COVID, he called it, and forgive me, presiding officer, for the language, bollocks. We had a Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, who partied in number 10 while loved ones missed the funerals of their relatives. So yes, we could have done better when it came to the retention of informal messages. But when it comes to steering this country through some of its darkest days, I'm very pleased we had Nicola Sturgeon in charge here in the Scottish Government, as opposed to Boris Johnson. I would remind all members of the need for courtesy and members I would be grateful if you could desist for a moment just let's remind one another of the need for courtesy and respect in this chamber and that applies to using quotations um, to use words that might otherwise be regarded as unparliamentary I'm also very conscious as I've said of the numbers who wish to put questions today and I would be grateful for more concise questions and responses and I call Douglas Ross
even after yesterday's evidence from the former First Minister. The words we've heard from the COVID-bereaved Hamza Youssef still backs her to the hill. And that tells you everything you need to know about this First Minister, who is simply the continuity candidate for Team Sturgeon. But as Health Secretary during the pandemic, he joked about not knowing what he was doing. When he sent that message, by that stage, 10,000 people in Scotland had already lost their lives from COVID. But he wasn't the only one that's been found out. Nicola Sturgeon destroyed evidence on an industrial scale. The SNP government considered independence for key decisions. They did things for purely political reasons. They broke promises to grieving families and the public who sacrificed so much. Hamza Youssef was winging it, but hasn't the whole SNP government been found out? First Minister. Officer, I go back to the point that I've made several times in these exchanges over the weeks that I absolutely accept wholeheartedly that a retention policy and informal communications clearly could have and should have been better. That's why, of course, we've commissioned, I've commissioned that externally led review. But on the big calls, many of the decisions that we made helped to save lives. If you look at some of the evidence that's been presented to the COVID inquiry, if you look at the evidence from Professor Sir Ian Diamond and Jackie Bailey shouting, she may want to listen actually to the evidence by Professor Sir Ian Diamond. He's the chief executive of the UK Stats Authority and UK National Statistician. He gave details of age standardised mortality rates per 100,000 right across the four nations. This is his uh, data, not my uh, data. And that analysis shows that uh, in Scotland, of course, we had the lowest uh, level of deaths per 100,000, according to the ASMR data. Now, every single one of those lives lost is undoubtedly a tragedy. In fact, many of my colleagues on these benches mm -hmm. lost a loved one uh, to uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. But on those calls, the decisions we made have helped to save lives. Let's look at what the World Health Organization said. And again, not my data, the World Health Organization's uh, data. They estimated that 22,138,000 lives in Scotland were saved as a direct result of the COVID-19 vaccination programme. So I accept fully that on, when it comes to informal communications, we could have and should have done better. There are also other decisions which, of course, uh, we look at uh, and we think we could have perhaps moved quicker or moved earlier or done things uh, differently. So while political opponents may well try to rewrite history and engage in, frankly, uh, smears, uh, insults Briefly, please, uh, First towards Minister. Uh, government ministers and civil servants, yeah. I can stand up here and say that I know that every single day of that pandemic Nicola Sturgeon, the rest of us in the Scottish Government, civil servants included, worked for one reason and one reason only, to protect the people of Scotland from the harms of COVID. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Presenting officer, this is what we've learned after three weeks of the COVID inquiry in Scotland. The most senior ministers and officials knowingly deleted evidence to how they operated during the pandemic. They subverted the COVID inquiry and broke freedom of information laws. They plotted how to maximise their own political advantage while thousands of Scots fought for their lives. It is a betrayal of the trust the people of Scotland put into this SNP government. Nicola Sturgeon didn't tell the truth to the public and Hamza Youssef seems to have misled this parliament in an attempt to defend her. And now the SNP deputy leader is supporting attacks on the inquiry itself. Why is protecting the SNP more important to Hamza Youssef than getting to the truth? First Minister. It's simply a complete and utter mischaracterisation 
of what we have heard. Uh, on every occasion uh, that I have had exchanges on this issue, I first of all uh, once again acknowledged uh, the impact of the decisions that we made around informal communications on the Scottish COVID bereaved. I do that again and I apologise once again, unreservedly, as I did in the inquiry and to them directly, to those who are representing the Scottish COVID bereaved for our mishandling in relation to the informal uh, communications. We could have and should have done better. But I go back to the point that I just made uh, when, uh, to, to Douglas Ross, and I repeat it again to Anna Sarwar. Yes, we should have done better on retention policy of informal communications. But in the course of this pandemic, when it came to the important decisions that helped to save lives, uh, I believe we took, first of all, the decisions for the right reason. And I think we can evidence that very clearly, that the harms and the protecting people from harms uh, and the people of Scotland from harm was the number one overriding priority. But through the actions that we took when it came to uh, one measure, and I conclude it is uh, only an accept it's only one measure, the age standardised mortality rates per 100,000 across the four UK nations. Scotland had 124.9 per 100,000. That was different to, to England, 145 per 100,000. Wales, 144 per 100,000. The UK average, 143 per uh, 100,000. Uh, that is not to diminish the number of lives that continue to be lost to COVID to this very day. And our, the decisions that we took, of course, also ensured that when it came to the booster vaccination, it was one of the fastest booster vaccination programmes in the world at one point, certainly the fastest uh, in the UK by quite some distance too. So yes, we could have and should have done better. I accept fully on message uh, retention. I, of course, handed over the messages uh, that I had in question for them about them for almost three hours. But on the big calls that help to save lives, I believe we can evidence, and we've seen the evidence, that not only did we do it for the right reason, but our, our interventions helped to save lives here in Scotland. Anna Sarwar. Presiding officer, ministers and officials knowingly deleted evidence for the COVID inquiry, and the answer to this betrayal of the Scottish people, a review into how the Scottish Government records information. In 2020, when we had the Salmon inquiry, and there were accusations of a cover-up, what did they do? Promise a review. In 2022, when we had investigations into the ferry scandal and there were accusations of a cover-up, what did they do? Promise a review. And now we have the industrial-scale deletion of evidence for the COVID inquiry. And what's this First Minister's answer? A review. They simply don't get it. Pamela Thomas, who lost her brother during the pandemic, said this yesterday. I don't think they're capable of actually telling the truth or being transparent. Pamela's right, isn't she? First Minister. I, I uh, want to, of course, uh, express my uh, condolence to every single member uh, of the country who lost a loved one through COVID. Pamela, uh, of course, included. And I make this point uh, again to Anna Sawar, that all of us, uh, including, of course, members of this government, also lost, lost loved ones uh, to COVID. And ministerial colleagues uh, who have relatives who continue to suffer the long-term effects uh, of COVID. I have colleagues uh, who had to, of course, restrict the numbers who could attend the funeral of a loved one. Many of us, myself included, had children who were impacted because of the closure of schools because of COVID. And I say that uh, not because I'm trying to garner any sympathy uh, from Anasawa or anybody else. I say that because we were all in this uh, together. We were not detached somehow from the impacts or the effects uh, of uh, the pandemic. And that's why every decision we made was made with one overarching priority in mind, how to protect as many people as we could from the harm of COVID. Do I think we got every decision right? No, I don't. I don't think 
any government in the world, any government leader in the world, can put their hand in their heart and say they got every single decision right. What I can say is we did it for the right reasons. And on the big decisions that were crucial to saving lives, I believe on many of them, we got them right. Some, of course, will not have got right. And I promise those who have been bereaved by COVID, the families of those who have been bereaved by COVID, that not only will we continue to cooperate with both inquiries, but we promise to learn the lessons of those inquiries too. Anna Sarwar. The COVID-believed families don't believe the First Minister when he gives those reassurances. The COVID inquiry is about learning the lessons so this can never happen again. But they have been obstructed by this government with evidence supplied late or not at all. The decisions the inquiry is investigating still weigh on the people across this country. Why were COVID-positive patients sent into care homes? Why was inadequate PPE being supplied to care workers and leaving people exposed? What impact did lockdowns have on our young people who missed out on years of education? Three years ago, in an election during the pandemic, many people in Scotland voted for his party because they thought Nicola Sturgeon did the best she, they, she could. They trusted her when she said this parliament would be about COVID recovery. Now those same people have had their trust broken by this government and they're appalled at the cover-up. First Minister, isn't it true? It's not just the messages that have disappeared. So has the trust in this SNP government. First Minister. I, I, I tend to uh, leave the verdict of trust to the, the people of Scotland. Anna Sauer is right. The, one of the major factors of why uh, the SNP is back into power is because of our handling over the course of the pandemic. And that wasn't judged. That, I don't, Anna Sauer's shouting, wow, I'm saying to Anna that he's absolutely correct and one of the reasons why we're standing here. Uh, what I don't think was an issue during the 2021 elections was our retention policy, our record management policy. It was one, whether or not we got the calls right in relation to the vaccination programme. It's whether, of course, we did the right thing in terms of introducing non-pharmaceutical uh, interventions. Anna Sauer talks about, in, in his words, an industrial scale deletion. We handed over 28,000 WhatsApp messages and 19,000 uh, documents. Uh, Anna Sauer is right to ask questions about care homes, around PPE, about lockdown and its impacts. These are exactly the questions the inquiry is examining. And this suggestion from Anna Sauer that somehow uh, we're not being transparent. Can I remind Anna Sauer that not only are we cooperating with a UK inquiry, we're the only nation in the UK to specifically establish an inquiry in our country. And we'll also be cooperating with that Scottish inquiry too. Nicola Sturgeon, over 250 media briefings. Ministers in this government attended this parliament, not on dozens of occasions, but hundreds of occasions explaining the reason why we took decisions. And, President Officer, I go back to the very central point here. We didn't get everything uh, right, and certainly not in relation to retention of messages. What we did get right and what we did do is the intention behind our decisions was to protect people from harm. And what we did, according to the World Health Organisations, through the interventions we took, helped to save over 23,000 people's lives. Those are 23,000 people that would not be here if it was not for vaccinations, if it was not for the non-pharmaceutical interventions and the decisions that this government took. And I make no apologies for that. Question number three, Alex Cole-Hamilton. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Do you ask the First Minister when the Cabinet will next meet? First Minister. Tuesday. Alex Cole-Hamilton. Presiding Officer, we did hear striking testimony from the former First Minister at the inquiry yesterday about a personal phone on which she retained WhatsApp messages for the Salmond inquiry, but deleted them 
for every aspect of the pandemic, forever denying the bereaved families an insight into the mind of the person who held all of the power. About hospitality rules, seemingly made up at random, sending some businesses to the wall, unanswered questions about care homes, about school closures, and a secret central committee in charge, it seems, of everything, about which the finance secretary knew nothing and of which there are no minutes. A government within a government. Humza Yusuf saw all of this and yet did nothing. So why is he now standing in the way of a ministerial code investigation into gold command record keeping, something only he can instruct? And does he agree that Nicola Sturgeon ha now has a duty to come back to this chamber, this chamber he says she addressed hundreds of times, and once more finally explain herself? First Minister. Can I say, uh, of course, Nicola Sturgeon gave hours of testimony and evidence uh, and, and, and under oath, of course, uh, and was questioned extensively. It will be for now the inquiry uh, to make its judgment and we respect the inquiry and, of course, uh, hope that others will respect the inquiry and give it the time uh, and space it needs uh, to make its judgment. I'm not sure what uh, Anna Sauer and others are shouting at. I'm simply saying the inquiry should be uh, respected. So can I say that Nicola Sturgeon or this government got every decision right. Uh, First Minister, sorry, I'm actually being distracted by a conversation that is going across, or going on across the aisles. Can I ask members to refrain from such contributions while we're trying to hear the First Minister? Well, I think the opposition should try to respect the inquiry, and that is the point uh, I am making. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt, as I've already said before, that our overarching, overriding priority was always to protect the people of Scotland uh, from uh, COVID uh, harm. And Nicola Sturgeon's leadership is in stark contrast to the leadership we saw in other parts of the United uh, Kingdom. And she may not have got every decision right. This government may not have got every decision right. I accept that fully. But it's for, it's for the inquiry uh, to examine and to explore that issue. On Gold Command uh, meeting minutes uh, that Alex Cole Hamilton has asked me about, uh, yes, uh, the government is urgently uh, examining, exploring and will hand over to the inquiry any notes that we have uh, on Gold Command minutes and meetings. Question number four, Stephanie Callaghan. Officer, to ask the First Minister what steps the Scottish Government has taken to prevent a resurgence of measles in Scotland. First Minister. Cases of measles in Europe and England continue to rise due to under-vaccination, uh, while we have seen only, uh, we've only seen two laboratory-confirmed cases of measles to date uh, in Scotland since October. But we are acting now to prevent the spread uh, and to protect people. Public Health Scotland has alerted NHS Scotland it's also met local health protection teams and immunisation coordinators to set out measures that need to be taken. These include early detection and notification, infection control, contact tracing, uh, post-exposure prophylaxis for vulnerable contacts to try to ensure that the cases are contained and don't spread any further. Immunisation, of course, remains the most effective way of preventing illness from infectious disease, and the MMR vaccine is extremely effective at preventing measles. Anyone who hasn't had both doses of the free MMR vaccine should visit the NHS Inform website and find out how to arrange an appointment. Stephanie Callaghan. I thank the First Minister for that answer. And while Scotland's uptake of childhood immunisations has continued to perform really well across the four UK nations, there is recent data from Public Health Scotland that highlights the gradual decline. 
With overall uptake of both doses falling below the World Health Organisation's target of 90%, a critical level that protects against the return of large outbreaks. So can I ask the First Minister what steps the Scottish Government has taken to highlight the importance of receiving both doses of MMR vaccine? And can he outline what strategies are in place to ensure easy access to follow-up appointments for children in cases where vaccinations, one or both doses, have been missed? First Minister. Given the very serious nature of measles and the current risk of importation and onward transmission, we are working with Public Health Scotland and also NHS boards on a whole range of measures promoting vaccination uptake. NHS Inform has been updated, ensuring information is available for the public on how they can receive the measles vaccination. Letters were issued to parents of pupils for nursery schools, P1 primary schools uh, and S1 uh, secondary schools too, uh, highlighting the importance of ensuring that young people are up to date with their vaccinations. Boards have also been requested to undertake an MMR status check of all pupils in S1. Uh, this check was previously performed in S3, but bringing forward these checks to S1 provides more opportunities for those uh, unvaccinated or indeed undervaccinated to obtain the vaccination they require. Brief supplementary, Martin Whitfield. I'm very grateful, Presiding Officer, and I'm very grateful for the previous answer from the First Minister, because work has undergone in our universities to make sure that the measles vaccinations have been up to date. And he's talked about the work at S1. Can he give any specific initiatives that are aimed at increasing the awareness specifically to parents, guardians, and indeed teachers about the importance of maintaining the up-to-date measles vaccination by having the two doses? First Minister. Well, thank Martin Mitfield for a very important question uh, indeed, and uh, he is right to obviously reference uh, higher education uh, as well. I will ask the Cabinet Secretary uh, for Health to write to Martin Mitfield uh, with the full detail of what we have done, uh, including, of course, that we have uh, issued letters uh, to parents, for example, in the 23-24 intake uh, of pupils uh, for nursery schools as well as uh, other pupils uh, as well. We have also sent a variety of letters uh, from the CMO, from the Chief Medical Officer, uh, to health professionals as well to make sure uh, in their interactions, often in primary care, uh, in their, in their uh, uh, interactions uh, with uh, parents and families around the importance uh, of the vaccination. But I will ensure the Cabinet Secretary for Health writes to Martin Whitfield with more details about the actions that we have taken in this regard. Brief supplementary, Fergus Ewing. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Um, the worryingly low uptake both of the MMR and the flu vaccine in the Highlands uh, increases the risk to public health and of an outbreak of measles. Therefore, will the First Minister and his Cabinet Secretary for Health uh, ask the NHS Highland to work with GP practices such as that in Nairn, who are very keen to resume local provision from GP practices of this service in order to bring up the vaccination levels to save amounts. And, uh, First Minister, an approach that I believe is favoured by the British Medical Association. First Minister. Uh, thanks, Ewing. is uh, right to, to raise uh, this issue around the particularly lower levels uh, of vaccination in Highland uh, that are uh, concerning. Uh, I want to give him some reassurance that engagement with the Health Board is already uh, happening. Uh, I know that Fergus Ewing has raised this issue uh, before he's raised it with me in relation to uh, COVID vaccinations uh, as well, but I am worried about the levels of vaccination 
uh, in Highland. We are taking up that engagement with the NHS Board and we will ask the direct question uh, for those GP practices that do want to resume uh, what the barrier uh, is uh, and we will examine whether or not the lower uptake and vaccination in Highlands uh, is a result of the different, uh, as a result, forgive me, of the model uh, that is in place uh, there and I will ensure that Fergus Ewing is kept up to date in relation to those discussions. Question number five, Graham Simpson. Thank you. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to reports that Scottish Water plans to increase charges by 29% over three years. First Minister. Well, let me start by clarifying the arrangements for setting water charges. They're set out in the Water Industry Scotland Act 2022, and decisions on charges are rightly a matter for the Board of Scottish Water. They'll announce their charges for 2024-25 uh, shortly. Charges for future years uh, have not yet been agreed. They will be set annually by Scottish Water's board with approval from the independent economic uh, regulator in line with the price, price cap across the 21 to 27 period. Uh, in 23-24, the average charge in England and Wales uh, is 10% higher than in Scotland, at 40, £448, compared to a charge in Scotland of £408. Graeme Simpson. Um, well, I'm not interested in what's going on in England and Wales. Scottish, Let's hear Mr Simpson. Scottish Water are reported to want to increase bills by 8.8% in 24-25 and then do the same every year until 26-27. Now that might be all right for their new chief exec, Alex Plant, who can well afford it on his £295,000 a year salary, but that's not okay for normal people struggling to pay their bills. Now, water bills are paid through our council tax, presiding officer, uh, and given that the First Minister has committed to freeze council tax, is he not prepared to do the same with water? First Minister. <laughs> well, the brass neck of a Conservative talking about the impact on people's household bills is quite something uh, to witness, uh, presiding officer. So let me talk about Scotland and Scottish water. I've already said, of course, that the, the charges haven't been announced, will be announced shortly, and they will be, of course, uh, reviewed and announced annually. But, of course, with Scottish Water, what we end up getting, in comparison to England and Wales, is better levels of service. We get lower water charges here in Scotland in comparison to England. We get a publicly owned water company with every single penny of profit reinvested back into yeah. the public service. Yeah. Unlike in England, where his party is in charge, where shareholders get millions yeah. in dividends. We get water quality as 87% uh, good or uh, at a high uh, level, as assessed by SEPA. As in so many issues, the Conservative UK government do far better at looking at how we run Scottish water and indeed our public services uh, for the good of the people of Scotland. And it seems while the UK government run their services into the ground, they do so for the profit of shareholders, unlike Scottish Water, which is publicly owned. Presiding exactly. Question number six, Jackie Bailey. To ask the First Minister when the Scottish Government expects the remainder of the National Treatment Centres to be opened in light of reports that NHS capital infrastructure projects have been paused. First Minister. The next two national treatment centres, NTC uh, Forth Valley and also Phase 2 of the Golden Jubilee, they're due to open uh, in the coming months, providing additional orthopaedic, endo endoscopy and general surgery capacity. Our ability to fund capital projects has, of course, been detrimentally impacted and affected by twin challenges of unprecedented levels of inflation caused in some part uh, by Brexit and disastrous UK government 
uh, decisions, but also, of course, one of those disastrous UK government decisions being the cut in our capital budget. So our infrastructure investment plan identified priority health capital projects, including national treatment centres, for funding within that period. As a result of the almost 10% cut in our capital budget from the UK government, a revised pipeline of infrastructure investment will be published in the spring of this year. All due consideration will be given to what projects can be included and on what timescales, and of course that would include uh, national treatment centres too. Jackie Bailey. Can I thank the First Minister for his response? But he knows that national treatment centres are key to the SNP's NHS recovery plan. We now learn that these promises to patients and staff are in Tatters, treatment centres in Ayrshire and Arran, Lanarkshire, Lothian, Grampian and Tayside, all delayed and at risk of cancellation. But these treatment centres aren't the only NHS capital infrastructure projects put at risk. Aberdeen Bed Family Hospital and Anchor Centre, delayed. Institute of Neurosciences in Glasgow, delayed. Monklands Replacement Project in Lanarkshire, delayed. Edinburgh Cancer Centre, the Eye Pavilion, delayed. Caithness, Ragmore, the Belford, delayed. Health centres in Kincardine, Loggelly and East Calder, cancelled. Barra Community Campus, cancelled. Presiding officer, I could go on, but can I ask the First Minister, with almost one in six Scots on waiting lists, how is he going to end their suffering when these developments were so central to his plan? First Minister. Presiding uh, officer, as always, uh, Jackie Bailey will come to this chamber ignoring the fiscal reality and effectively act as a human shield for the Conservatives who are cutting our capital budget by 10%. The fact that Jackie Bailey thinks a 10% cut can be imposed upon us with no consequences shatters any credibility she has on this issue, presiding officer. We have, of course, made cut, we have, of course, made a dent uh, in, uh, to improve, in, into waiting uh, times in terms of improvements that we are looking to make. So, new when it comes to activity in the NHS, new outpatient activity. activity was up on the last quarter and up 2.3% uh, on Q3 last year. Over the last 12 months to September 23, activity was almost uh, 1.24. was up uh, almost uh, 1.24 uh, million. Uh, that's 2.5% that's more than the previous uh, 12 months. I and mean, I look at inpatient day case activity for Q3, that was at its highest since the start of the pandemic. So we are uh, doing what we can, notwithstanding the financial constraints and the cuts we're receiving from the UK government. So we'll continue to invest in that capacity. Uh, and I should say to Jackie Bailey, of course, it would be very helpful if Jackie Bailey could use any influence she has with her UK Labour colleagues who have thus far refused to confirm that they will reverse that capital cut, presiding officer. Miles Briggs. Thank you, presiding officer. La last year, 59,240 patients attended the Princess Alexandra Eye Pavilion. For a patient in Edinburgh or the borders with a detached retina, the need for urgent emergency surgery is critical. The Health Secretary has suggested that if the Edinburgh Eye Pavilion is not replaced, then more surgery will be centralised to the Golden Jubilee National Hospital in Glasgow. Can I ask the First Minister if he thinks it would be acceptable for eye surgery to be centralised to Glasgow? And will he agree to meet with Lothian MSPs urgently uh, to discuss these concerns and look towards where ministers can change their mind and commit to a new replacement eye hospital? First Minister. Can I say to, to Miles Briggs, of course, uh, the clue is in the name. They are national treatment centres that we are building. So where they can have offer assistance right across the country, they should be utilised 
uh, in uh, that way. And we know that, of course, patients are, if necessary, uh, willing to travel. But our commitment to the I Pavilion uh, remains, and that's why we'll bring forward, of course, detail on what we can take forward uh, in regards to our investment uh, plans. But, of course, I'm uh, more than happy to assure uh, that the Cabinet Secretary for Health meets uh, with Miles Briggs. What would be more helpful for Miles Briggs to do is demand that his UK Government Conservative colleagues reverse their 10 per cent cut to our capital budget. They could do that in the spring budget next month. Uh, let's see if they, let's see if Miles Briggs and the Scottish Conservatives who come to this chamber demanding money be spent on capital yeah. projects have any influence. Somehow, presiding officer, I think not. Yeah. Kate Forbes. Thank you. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Plans for uh, a new Belford Hospital have made great progress in recent years with Scottish Government support, and it's deeply unfortunate that the 10% UK Government cut to capital has postponed the actual build. But can the First Minister commit to enabling the design process to progress so that it is shovel-ready when capital does become available to allow the uh, start of the actual build? First Minister. So we are absolutely uh, engaged on that uh, very issue at the moment. I think uh, the suggestion from Kate Forbes uh, is a sensible approach forward and we will certainly seek uh, to do that. I think it is essential that NHS boards continue to plan on how they will improve and reform services and we remain committed to absolutely supporting boards uh, in uh, that uh, process. But this, of course, goes back to the point that there are many uh, capital projects right across the country that are under threat, not because uh, of anything that this government has done, but because of the disastrous mismanagement of the economy from the UK yeah. government and a 10% capital cut, which is not just going to impact on health projects, but on capital projects right across the country. We appeal once again to the UK government to use the spring budget yeah. next month yeah. to reverse that devastating cut to allow these important health capital projects to go ahead. Yeah. Move to constituency general supplementaries, and I call Finlay Carson. Uh, to ask the First Minister if he will join with me in welcoming the very positive progress that has been made in negotiations which are likely to see the restoration of the Northern Ireland Assembly at Stormont, and also welcome the huge job and investment boost which could be delivered as part of the proposed investment zone extending to Sunrar and Cairn Ryan in my constituency, which is the main point of entry for Northern Ireland goods going to Great Britain along the A75 and the A77. First Minister. I, I absolutely uh, welcome the restoration, of, I hope the restoration of power sharing in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, the people of Northern Ireland have had uh, for too long to have to put up uh, with, without an elected uh, government uh, in place. So this is good news uh, for uh, the people of Northern Ireland and we welcome it absolutely wholeheartedly. I've been to a number of British Irish councils uh, in, over the years in, in my time as First Minister uh, and in the last uh, couple that I've been uh, as First Minister, uh, the absence uh, of, uh, the Northern I uh, of, of any elected members from Northern Ireland uh, has been uh, noted uh, and, has, uh, and their presence uh, has been uh, missed. So I think it's incredibly important as part of the Good Friday Agreement uh, that we have power sharing uh, restored. It, it would be fair to say that we weren't given any advance sight uh, of the command paper that was published by the UK government uh, yesterday. There was no uh, meaningful engagement uh, by, uh, the Western government, uh, by the Westminster government. Um, the UK government appears to unilaterally have decided that there will be no border control post at uh, Cairn Ryan. It's not a decision uh, that they have consulted us on. I also note that there was a £3.3 billion package yeah. offered, to the Secretary of State, offered by the Secretary of State to address public spending and for pay pressures in Northern Ireland, which I have to say, again, is welcome. These pressures do exist in Scotland and I suspect they exist in yeah. Wales too. So I know that the Deputy First Minister has raised with the Chief Secretary to the as Treasury, the uh, as, did the Welsh, uh, as did her Welsh counterpart, that the devolved government should be treated fairly in line with the Barnett formula. Yeah. Yeah. Paul O'Kane. 
Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Mark Scott was murdered in 1995 as he walked through Brigton on his way back from a Celtic game. The murder was a brutal, unprovoked sectarian attack. But from this tragic murder came hope in the form of the Mark Scott Leadership for Life Award, which is now delivered by the Outward Bound Trust and brings young people together to share experiences and reduce racism, sectarianism and intolerance. The Scottish Government has provided core funding since 2012, uh, 2012 sorry, which has allowed the awards to leverage other funding in from alternative sources. That amount stands at £75,000, and the Trust have been told that it will be removed from next year. Surely the First Minister agrees with me that this life-changing award for young people that tackles sectarianism in the best way I can think of cannot be allowed to fail due to government cuts. And given that I'm meeting with the Trust today, will he engage with me to find a solution to reinstate the funding? First Minister. Uh, can I say to, to Paul Kane, uh, he raises a very important point. Indeed, I know the work Mark... Uh, Scott Foundation uh, has done uh, over the years uh, alongside uh, the Outward Bound Trust uh, as well. I've met some of those who have taken part in the project. I think they have done incredibly well as an organisation. Uh, I think they have had a really positive impact uh, on young people as well. It's an organisation I've engaged with over uh, many, many years indeed. And I can confirm uh, to Paul O'Kane to this chamber uh, that the Mark Scott uh, uh, Foundation will uh, receive uh, £75,000. Uh, we will ensure that they are funded fully uh, in order uh, to carry on the excellent work that the Leadership Award has done over many, many years. And that uh, work, of course, I think is a, is a, is a lasting legacy and testimony uh, to Mark Scott and, of course, his family too. Go Cap Stewart. Officer. This week, Liz Smith endorsed the reintroduction of backdoor tuition fees, which would deny disadvantaged students from going to university. It follows Labour leader Keir Starmer ruling out free tuition fees under a UK Labour government. Can the F uh, First Minister outline what progress the SNP Scottish Government has made in widening access, and will he reaffirm his commitment to keeping tuition fees free? First Minister. Hardly a, a surprise to hear the Conservatives heckling when we mention yeah. free education. I have to say, Presiding Officer, I was absolutely delighted Let's hear to see the, the First progress Minister. that we have made in this regard, highlighted by the Commissioner of Fair Access this week. A 45% increase in students from our most deprived communities entering university since 2013-2014. No wonder the Conservatives were groaning. They don't like it, Presiding Officer, one single bit. The Commissioner also points out that this increase has not been at the expense of other cohorts of Scottish students, with increases in home students right across the board. So unlike Labour and the Conservatives, we are absolutely committed to the principle that access to education should be based on the ability to learn, never on the ability to pay, presiding officer. And Megan Gallagher. Thank you, presiding officer. Mums and babies across Scotland are missing out on vital health visitor appointments. And I know this because it happened to me as my daughter was not seen for over 10 months. Parents in Angus have been told that their babies could be without a visit for up to a year. Health visitors are important because they check on a child's uh, well-being, but can also identify if mums are experiencing postnatal depression. The First Minister and the Health Secretary cannot bury their heads in the sand over this issue. So will the First Minister intervene urgently to ensure mums and babies are not denied these crucial visits 
because of staff shortages. First Minister. President Megan Gallagher is uh, absolutely right about the importance of uh, health visitors for a range of reasons that I think she has articulated very, very well. Uh, indeed, health visiting remains a universal service. Teams across Scotland uh, work hard to deliver this entitlement, and the latest published data that we have shows that the overwhelming vast majority of eligible children are receiving their key health visitor contacts between 10 days and five years of age. That's not to say uh, that there are not challenges, and I am more than happy for the Health Secretary uh, to write to Megan Gallagher, giving her the details of what we're doing to invest in the service, but also what we're doing, particularly in those areas where we are seeing disparities, uh, what we are doing to further support health visiting services. But I want to put on record my thanks to every single health visitor for the incredible work that they do. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. The next item of business is members' business debate in the name of Kenneth Gibson, and there will now be a short suspension to allow those leaving the chamber and public gallery to do so.